You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. Hey guys, how are you? Today we are here with Alita and we have a little addition to our podcast today. I got a puppy this weekend. So if you hear a little whining or barking in the background, it's normal around here now. I just want to kind of mention that, but we're here with Alita. Alita, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you for joining me today. So you are the founder of Ethos, which is a company culture consulting firm. What does that even mean? Tell us what that is. Absolutely. So what a company culture consulting firm does is go into companies, specifically in our firm, technology companies and growing at growth stage companies, and we look at everything to do with company culture. So you can think about it in terms of the employee experience, the environment, talent development. Ultimately, what we're concerned with is does this company provide the conditions for everyone within it to thrive? So that's really what we're focused on. But everything that we do has what we call a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens on it. So we're really focused not just on building incredible company cultures, but incredibly diverse company cultures. And we see that as a real need and a real opportunity considering where we are today, especially in this market with small growing companies, basically building pretty homogenous teams based on who they know. Wow. Okay. So this is like a really, how did you get into this? And before I start asking my questions, how did you get into this? Sure. So I worked in technology for most of my career. I was a management consultant and then I worked in technology companies, but most recently and really most importantly, I built my career in venture capital. So I worked in a firm that was dedicated to investing in early stage startups, tech companies where we were investing capital that we were looking to get returns on over a long period of time. And working in venture capital is a very unique experience. So a lot of people may have watched the show Silicon Valley and they have some experience of what a VC is like from that or maybe Shark Tank. It's definitely not at that level or that scale just like any job it comes with the day-to-day tasks that everybody has to do but the thing that's really unique about venture capital is there are only 800 firms in the world more people work at Accenture than in the entire industry mm-hmm. and these firms themselves even though they have a lot of capital under management are pretty small which means that the folks who work there tend to work there because of relationships. And so what you see happening and what I had the experience of is when you're in venture capital, there are basically no women and people of color. So I can tell you when I joined my firm, I was the first full-time woman on the team and I was the only Hispanic person in the community in Chicago. Eventually another joined me and then there were two of us, but there were 27 of us nationally. And so there was always this idea for me that we needed to increase representation in order to drive better business outcomes, but also to create environments where selfishly someone like me could thrive. And I'll give you a sense. I mean, from the work that I did, I was the director there and I was really focused on our investors, our partners, everything to do with our brand and then our portfolio company growth. And we became the most active investor in the Midwest during my tenure there. But a lot of it came down to how do we invest in people? And that's really how we did it. We took a people-first approach to investing. So to be an investor in our firm, and this is very unusual, 
you had to have started, scaled, and sold your own company or headed up your own company. And then as we progressed, we were giving those individuals the tools that they could really use to get into our portfolio companies. We had about 45 to really grow them. But I was also working with our portfolio companies on essentially fixing people problems because basically what happened is I spent three and a half years doing organizational development for my firm and our companies were really close-knit and tied in because I was the person that they saw once the deal was done to provide them with the resources they needed to continue growing. And so they just asked, hey, Lita, could you do that for me? Or we're having a real problem with recruiting people of color or women. Or we're having issues in the leadership team. We think that there's a lot of conflict happening. How do we resolve that conflict? And so I ended up really embedding in those companies providing strategic guidance, which was totally in my job description, but it hadn't necessarily been about people. I was just working on strategy period with an emphasis on marketing. But as I worked on people in my firm, the companies that I was managing also wanted me to do that. And I just saw a huge market need. And of course, this is all happening with all of the scandal in Silicon Valley around Uber, around Google, around sexual harassment, around the fact that we've got serious diversity fatigue happening. So tons of money is being spent on diversity in companies that they're just not reaching. And so I thought this is the opportunity now, especially in a market like Chicago, which is emerging and is newer than a more entrenched market like San Francisco. Okay. So that was a lot of information. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, I want to break it down a little bit for our listeners in, um, you know, one of the things that I talk about quite a bit and everybody here knows, I mean, the name of the podcast is shamelessly feminine. And one of the things I talk about with shamelessly feminine is that, uh, I talk about putting the feminine back in feminist and how, you know, we, are looking for equal rights, which absolutely we deserve and are important and we deserve equal pay and we deserve all the rights that men get, but that we have these unique things about us because we are women, these unique characteristics that have often been looked at as a bad thing, maybe like emotional or, uh, you know, um, more, more caring or, you know, whatever it might be that I say, well, hire me because of those things, not in spite of those things. And how much are you seeing that? Like, in other words, how much are you going into these companies and saying, okay, you need women in this workplace because they have these characteristics that men don't have? That's fundamentally the diversity argument, right? So when we think about what are the positives of diversity in a workplace is that when you bring in variety, you ultimately are going to be better served as a company in terms of managing risk and then achieving growth. So to your point, If you have a leadership team that's all male and you have no female leaders on that team, you are missing out on opportunities for new ways of dealing with situations, new strategies, new ideas. If we look at where innovation comes from, it's taking an idea from over here and an idea from over here and putting them together to make an integrated decision. We need difference in order to get there. So we actually want to bring people on board who have their own stories, their own personalities, their own backgrounds, as well as the competencies to do the job. And Mm -hmm. so that's something that's really important. I think the other thing to keep in mind is, yes, absolutely, women bring things to the table that men don't, especially in their lived experiences. But as we are maturing now generationally, the way that the newer generations perceive gender is just totally different. And what is considered to be male and female is also really different. We have multiple genders that we're dealing with in the workplace now. And then on top of that, expectations are very different. This is going to sound really trivial, but I'm a super entertainment news junkie. And so Timothy Chalamet has become the poster boy 
he is the ideal for today's young woman. And it used to be Leonardo DiCaprio. So there's this whole thing piece on Timothy Chalamet versus Leonardo DiCaprio and how they're fundamentally different because Timothy Chalamet is completely embracing what would stereotypically be classified as like the feminine identity, right? He is sensitive. He cries. He's polite. He brings his mom to parties. He is not with a troop of supermodels all the time. He's extremely sensitive and he's not the kind of person who would yell or get in your face or throw a punch. And that's what's actually making him appealing to this new generation of women. And so the other thing that I think is important is from a generational divide standpoint, gender in the workplace becomes really important because the way that it's being perceived by the people who are coming into your workplace is totally different. Mm-hmm. So how do we, I mean, I still feel that we as women have, and, you know, thank you for mentioning that because I, I talk about men and women and I didn't mention all the, gr- you know, the gray areas in between. And that is definitely um, something that we're seeing more and more. And I think I'm all for it. I mean, that's amazing that people are able to express who they are and that we embrace that. Um, and I think even that bravery into being able to do that brings something to the table as well. So thank you for mentioning that. Uh, I'm curious as far as women are concerned, um, And I see it now with my friends, like we're in our forties and a lot of us haven't worked for a lot of years. And now the kids are getting older and well, I might want to work again, but I'm I'm old now. And, you know, I can't get into the workforce. Like how do you, you know, do you deal with that? Like the ageism and also any thoughts that you might have as far as the hurdles that women have, as far as like maternity leave Mm -hmm. or, you know, wanting to stay home to raise their children for a few years, things like that. Does that give us a disadvantage? It's definitely something that is relevant today. So one, I specifically work in tech companies where ageism is a thing, for sure. Ageism is absolutely an issue across all industries. I mean, there's a reason why the U.S. government deems people over 40 as a protected class because employers often do not want to hire these individuals for reasons related to bias or discrimination. But one of the things that's important is if we think about the choices that women have to make and going home and raising their family and then wanting to come back into the workplace. Most of these companies don't have guarantees that you'll have your job when you come back. And then you also are getting screened out. So recruiters are trained to look for gaps on a resume as red flags, and then they won't look at them, period. So you may be totally qualified to do a job, but because you've got a gap, you're not even getting in through the next few stages. And that's going to be a real challenge for you. I think that we see this struggle all the time. And one of the things that has been heartening is I've seen a lot of tech companies like Innova where they will put in a guarantee. So they'll say, you can take two years with your child and come back and we'll have a spot for you. And they're planning for that. They're at the size where they can do that. But I think it's important that they've actually had to make that promise because it's so widespread that you won't have the opportunity. And it's almost like you have to abandon your life start a new life and then start another new life. Yeah. You just go back into the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So one of the things that you mentioned before is uh, leadership development. And I'm so curious as far as you're concerned, what makes a good leader? Could you, I know that that's a very broad question. So maybe you can give us two or three points that if somebody's like, well, I want to be a leader and I, you know, it's important for me to run a good team or to, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to the show that have employees. Tell us what makes a good leader. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to distinguish between a leader and a manager because they're not the same thing. Oh, great. So so the first thing is that a lot of times when people think of leadership, they actually think of management and they're separate. So a good leader is just anybody who can inspire others to follow because they can inspire others to believe in a vision. You can be a very good leader and a very bad manager. 
The best example I can think of is Steve Jobs. He was not a good manager of people. And that's actually why he had folks around him who were so that they could take care of that for him, right? So you can be a phenomenal leader, basically, if you have vision and you can communicate that vision in such a way that others feel inspired to pursue it with you, Mm. right? But ultimately, a good leader is measured on the impact of the organization that they have built or the initiative that they're leading. They're basically measured on how close they come to realizing that vision. A really good manager is responsible for the growth and development of their people. And that's something that gets lost all the time. When we think about managers, we think about micromanagers or stereotypes around middle managers. But a really good manager is actually somebody who should be measured on the work product of their employees, not Mm -hmm. of their own doing, which means that they have to actually be there supporting, coaching, delegating, and directing their employees so that they can get to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. You have really good managers who are not good leaders because they're very good at managing people, but not necessarily very good with vision. And then, of course, you have what a lot of people consider to be the ideal and what a lot of people think a good leader is, which is someone who can have the vision and also manage the people in ways that allow those individuals to flourish, but also in a way that benefits the company. Mm, excellent. Um, I feel like your answers are just so dead on. Like you're so like, this has been asked of you before. <laughs> I'm glad. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, how women can support each other in the workforce. Um, you know, I have um, a good friend who works for a very male oriented business and she's always really trying to help other women and take other women under her wing and help them. How can we do that? How can we be a culture that supports each other versus, uh, you know, we're known oftentimes as being catty or backstabbing. I think that there's just no room for that in the workplace. So how do we make that part of the culture? Yeah, I think this is something that I've experienced personally. So I have definitely experienced women not supporting me in the workplace because there's this idea that there's only room for one, that only a few make it to the top. So I can't do any favors. I can't support you. I can't be there for you because it's going to lead me to a nice guy's finish last situation. And I don't want to be there. But I'll say by that same token, the reason that I've been successful in my career has a lot to do with women who supported me, Mm -hmm. who just didn't buy into that idea. And so what I think the biggest thing that women can do for each other is mentor one another and be there to coach and support one another in ways that are really structured. And when I say mentor, I really actually mean the sort of blend with coaching. So when you mentor somebody, you're focused on your own experience as opposed to their experience. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that women are in a unique position to do for each other because they understand each other is to watch for the signals of what's going on in the environment, and then build that trusted relationship where they can ask the questions that women aren't getting asked at work. Women aren't getting asked who they want to be. They're not being asked what their purpose is. They're not being asked what vision they have for themselves in the future. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, they might be reflecting on that on their own or with their friends or with a therapist or a coach, but they're not doing it at work. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I think is transformational because one question can totally change the course of where you go. If you have a woman on your team who says to you, I really want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to help you. Let me ask you, what is your purpose? What gives meaning to your life? And you haven't really thought about it in the workplace. All of a sudden you have that conversation and now you're both looking for opportunities for you to pursue that. That's huge. The other thing is 
I think it's really important to be who you are at work. And that often means for a lot of women being vulnerable. And we're told that we can't be vulnerable. And that's something, you know, I experienced. So early on in my career, I had a performance pulse track with a manager. And I was asking him for feedback and asking him for feedback and he wouldn't give me anything. So he was just saying over and over again, it's all greens on your scorecard. You're doing perfectly. You're going to get your performance bonus. And I said, but I want to improve. I want to grow. I want to get better. All greens doesn't help me do that. Where can I get better? Where can I improve? And he was afraid to give me feedback because I was a woman, because he didn't know if he was going to hurt my feelings or if I was going to get really upset and become sort of entrenched and defensive. And so I finally pushed and he said something, unfortunately, the way this story ends kind of confirmed a little bit of what he thought, but he said, the thing about you, Alita, is you need to put a wall up because I don't see how you're going to be successful the way that you connect with other people. You really feel what they feel and you take it on and that's just not going to work for you. And I remember really, that's the the male way of doing things. And so he's saying to you, you got to be a man. (laughs) Essentially. And I, and, you know, I remember saying to him, I'm sensitive and I'd like to stay that way, which of course was kind of a challenge because I had just begged him for feedback and then I'd shut it down, but I didn't feel like that feedback was so helpful. When I told that story though, to another woman that I worked with, she said, here's the thing, Alita, you have big feelings and the people you work with don't. It's your choice on whether you want to educate them and help them collaborate with you just like you try to collaborate with them or you go and find a place where other people have big feelings too. Mm. And I do think that that's a conversation every woman needs to have with herself. Mm, That's really powerful. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, that just goes back to the point of, you know, putting the feminine back in feminist in that we don't have to be like men, act like men. And I'm not saying all men are like that, but I'm saying as a generality, you know, we don't need to act that way to get far in our careers. You know, we need to say, you know what, I am this. I'm going to push this. This is what makes me who I am. And I think that that's great that you didn't shrink under that because I know a lot of women probably would. It's not easy to stand up to that. Well, I think that it also just depends on the circumstances. I feel like I have been blessed and cursed by the same thing, which is not knowing any better. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that that's something that comes into play. So I went through a lot of the hardest parts of my career in the earliest parts. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of responsibility really soon, which means that I was exposed to a lot that was probably more than I could handle at the time, but I didn't really have a lot of choice. And so because I didn't have mentors yet, because I didn't have a lot of work experience and because I didn't have people around me who knew what to do. My family didn't really have a great sense of business. It's not a business oriented family. My friends were certainly not there either. Mostly they had gone back to school uh, to get PhDs or become doctors. And so I was sort of alone on an Island and I was focused on what feels right to me, what aligns with my own internal compass And so I got myself into trouble a lot, but at the same time, it meant that I didn't compromise as much. Mm, That's amazing. I always, I have the saying that you should always trust your gut. It's always right. So I think it's great. I mean, you're young. It's great at your, you know, level that you are and everything that you've done in your early stages of your career that you've trusted your instincts and that you went for it. I mean, it obviously led you to a successful place. So I see you mentioned here on your, um, your profile to ask you about mindfulness and meditation. And I'm so curious about that. Is that something that you practice in your everyday life? Yes. So I'm really focused on mindfulness in what I do. And I started out with mindfulness several years ago as a means of just dealing with stress. 
I've always had really high stress jobs and I've always been really career oriented. And my husband is the same way. So neither of us is mad when we're home at 10 PM. That's just the norm. And we know that we were working, right? That's a big part of it. But when you work so much and you have so many deadlines and people that you're dealing with and so much responsibility, oftentimes that you feel that if you aren't the one who makes this happen, it's not going to happen and other people are going to be let down. It starts to pile up and build up. And then on top of that, I set really hard expectations for myself, not just at work, but in terms of things like physical fitness, in terms of playing my classical guitar, I'm a working artist in the city. All of those things sort of add up and compound. And so I thought, okay, meditation is a way of uh, actually achieving stress relief. It's the next step from yoga. I can really just essentially train my mind to be clear and focused when I need it to be. And that approach actually meant that I abandoned it. I mean, I was with it for about a year and I was just doing it as another thing to enhance my performance, but I wasn't focused on the experience or what it could do for my overall well-being. I was focused on how it could make me better at doing what I do. And so I came back to it after I just felt that I couldn't sustain the pace that I was living at and I needed to slow my brain down. I needed to be able to focus on one thing at a time. And I found a community, which I think was the biggest thing for me. So there's a chill community here in Chicago. Chill is a meditation center. And so I started going to guided practices. And then when I was making a really very difficult decision, which was to go from working my very stable, very competitive venture capital job to starting my own company with my husband still in school, I went on a retreat. And it was transformational just in how I could have an overall awareness of everything that was happening around me and how I could cultivate so many of the feelings like self-compassion, empathy for myself, empathy for others, non-judgment. I could detach from things that I was attached to that were holding me back. And so that ultimately ended up leading to a very disciplined uh, mindfulness and meditation practice. So I practice every day. I'm doing an intensive actually this Saturday. I write about it. I teach it. I'm ingrained in that community because I see it as basically hygiene. That's how I view it. Mm. So that's amazing because I think so many women don't give themselves that permission and that space you know, you're busy, you're stressed. It's a, and it always seems like when you're, um, when you need it the most, it's the hardest to get. So I guess the fact that you just bring, you just do it every day as a habit is just, it just happens whether good, bad or otherwise. The best thing that I ever learned from my meditation instructor, Daryl Jones was all that matters is that you sit and you don't have to only sit. You can lie down, you can take a position. It's an expression, but you need to sit with it. And if you sit there for 30 minutes and only two of them, you are in a space where you could concentrate on your breath. That's it. That's the practice. Mm -hmm. You should never judge the practice. That's Mm -hmm. not the point of it. You need to take the time and some days you will have bad practices and some days you won't. But even thinking about it that way, even talking about it the way that I just did is beside the point. So it's just, how do I create this space for my brain in a way that is concrete and consistent so that I can essentially build that muscle and get to a place where I can use that as a tool for living my life, but also for ultimately, again, keeping up my health. 
Yeah, that's great. And you know, I'm all about good health. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and all of the information that you have about um, diversity in the workplace. I think right now, I mean, you've hit on something so big and let's just hope it's not a trend that it's really, you know, the way the world is moving. Because I think that um, with the diversity and, um, you know, all incorporating everybody's skills and life experiences and cultures into the workplace is going to lead to a better workplace in America. I think so too. Thank you so much for joining me. Let me ask you where people can find you if they want to get a hold of you. Absolutely. So I'm on Twitter, Alita MW, and then I'm also on LinkedIn. It's just my name. Nobody has it. You can search me and it's just going to be pages of my name, Alita Miranda Wolf. Awesome. Coming from a Jennifer, I'm very jealous of that. (laughs) Um, So great. And of course, that will be in your show notes and in the show notes as well. So everybody can find you there. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.